When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better watch out. You better be good. Can I take something out for you? You better not live in the neighborhood. Because the Griswolds are spending Christmas at home. We didn't come to impose. Oh, hell, it's plenty of room. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead. Chevy Chips. Everybody come out quick, look at the lights! National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, December 1st at a Hello movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. This 80s flick was meant to be just another chapter in the misadventures of Clark W. Griswold and his family. But it has become one of the most surprisingly popular and oft-quoted holiday movies of all time. So dig up your oversized Christmas tree, fill up your Wally World glass mugs with eggnog, and make sure your RV's you-know-what isn't full as Bethany Wells and I discuss National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Well, welcome in, everybody. Oh, man, I'm so excited about this movie. This is my ultimate all-time favorite Christmas movie. So well, just based on your intro, I'm going to be really struggling because I'm guessing you don't want an explicit tag no, on this no. one episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So unfortunately, I can't I can't repeat most of my favorite lines from this movie. <laughs> so uh, well, I'm going to do my best to keep you PG. I appreciate it. So as you know, as you can tell, my uh, special guest co-host this week or this episode is the one and only Miss Bethany Wells. You've already said hello, but say hello again. Oh. Hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. Yeah. So I remember telling telling Laramie uh, when I was planning on doing this episode, he was like, Bethany's going to do this one with you. I was like, okay. He's like, Bethany <laughs> loved this movie. Bethany will do this one. I was like, great. As long as she loves it, she's more than welcome. She loves this movie. Yeah. I don't want anybody on this episode that's like, eh, it's okay. There, I have feelings about it that make me like... I can't think about this movie too much at certain yeah. points in the movie. But for the most part, this is just a dear classic. I quote mm. it all year long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if oh, I'm not? the only one who realizes that I'm the one quoting it, like when I go, <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, let's jump right in. We got a lot to cover, so let's go for it. So 
Bethany, when did you see National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the very first time? Well, way too early. So this movie came out in 89. <laughs> yep. um, I was born in November of 88. Um, so I don't remember the first time I saw it. I know I saw it <laughs> a lot as a kid. I remember one of my favorite memories of seeing this movie hmm. was my mom's side of the family was having a get together. We were all sitting in the living room and our copy of the movie had been recorded off of like a free HBO weekend. Right, right. And we're all sitting around talking and it's playing in the background. And then it gets to um, Clark's big explosion when he realizes <laughs> he didn't get his um, his bonus, bonus check. Right. And I just remember my cousin Joey was like in the middle of a sentence and he stopped and he turned around and he looked and he goes, well, this is not the TBS version. <laughs> so that's, yes, there's def- yeah, that's there's my def- memory. There's definitely two versions of this movie, <laughs> uh, which is funny because, I mean, it's PG-13, so it's not like super vulgar, but it definitely has some language that doesn't always go over so well with I, the whole family. I think because it's a Christmas movie and Christmas movies tend to gear towards family friendly mm-hmm. and this is not what i would consider all family friendly right 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 despite yeah. the fact that i was watching it at <laughs> a very young age <laughs> um but it's such a good movie and it's mm-hmm. funny it's like it's five different movies all in one movie right yeah yeah that's but, true yeah. but it's 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 different it's a different take it's not the wholesome christmas movie that you're used no. to watching all year long no it's not a christmas carol that's for sure not that a christmas carol is i mean that can be kind of scary I and mean, if you watch some of the versions of There's it it can be a little in that movie yeah, exactly so so you know what defines a christmas movie that's that's a topic for another if i did one shots like your husband does on moving panels that would, would be spend a, an 80s- hour talking about <laughs> die hard is what you would do because <laughs> die hard is a christmas movie according, according to laramie, to laramie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with him on that. So well, but, that makes one of us. Right. Okay. Well, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so I saw this in the theater uh, in 89. I was, this was, I was going from middle school to high school, I think. And so, but I remember going to see this at the theater on a matinee. I want to say it was like during the week. So maybe like the week after it came out, but it was me and a group of my friends. And this is one of those few, like totally burned in my memory movie theater experiences because my friend Jason Prescott and I don't remember who all else was with us but I remember him laughing so hysterically he was falling out of the out of the theater seat like like (laughs) knees on the ground like trying to catch his breath and we were all like trying to keep from pee on ourselves we were laughing so hard and going back and watching I'm like I don't know which scenes it was that he laughed that hard at and why it was that funny maybe it was that middle school age that it kind of hits that sweet spot of just (laughs) Totally ludicrous. Oh, this is dirty, yeah. and we're we shouldn't right, be right. watching this. The, but but we are. Yeah, the, the lunacy of it, and just the because it's you know some parts of it are you know it's it, it has some believability of like okay that I can see my family in that I can see my father I yeah. can see my grandfather I can see my mother and my sister but then there's just the complete mm-hmm. like there man I were talking about it last week or a couple weeks ago we we're doing the Christmas show. And uh, we he played the trailer for Christmas Vacation before the show started. Mm-hmm. And with among all the uh, throwback commercials, which if you're a fan of the 80s flashback, right. you would have loved uh, watching all the old commercials. And we won't get into all those that were there. 
Uh, we should get Laramie to post it on. Yeah, that'd be Facebook good. Or well, one minute was forty five minutes long, so we'd have to do like snippets of it. Yeah, uh, you know. You know. Uh, he should put it on it. That, that could be his own. He could make that his own YouTube video, and it, people might actually watch it. True. Um, but in the scene, it shows the uh, sledding scene, and then we'll get the scenes later. Yeah, that's he has. Yeah, a big he was like that, that scene just scene. doesn't fit. And I was like, true, it doesn't, <laughs> but it's it's there for pure comedy. And I would say most of the right. back half of the movie is just filler for comedic moments. Oh, like okay. you said, it's like several movies. It's like five yeah, movies yeah. happening. So, uh, yeah, it's it's like here. Let's have this one scene. We're gonna set mm-hmm. up a joke. This whole scene is about paying this one <laughs> joke <laughs> right, off. Right. And when this scene is over, that joke is mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Now there's some through story and some stuff that ties right. it all together. But there's a lot of just like, and here's the sledding scene, and here's the scene where we get yeah, the tree, yeah, and here's here's the portion of the movie where he puts the lights mm-hmm. on the house. Yeah. And here's, but I mean it. You know, here's where he right. loses it. But in in fairness. Of the three vacation movies, that's kind of what they are. Even the original vacation was little vignettes of like, you know, it's just the misadventures and the things that you think are going to go right and don't go right. And it's just like little snippets of that with somewhat of an overarching story to kind of get you there. So, but, uh, but we'll. Yeah. Now, how much history do you have? No, good. Sorry. I don't want to jump the gun. How much history do you have with the Lampoon franchise? Not much. So. We'll we'll get to there. Let, let's let's put a pause there because okay. let's talk about. Sorry. So when was the last time you watched it before we were watching it for the podcast? Um, I mean, I've I had already watched it, and then I was like, oh yeah, and I've got to watch it again <laughs> for the podcast. And so you know, I watch yeah, it every that was year. The question. It's yeah. just my Christmas. It's a Christmas mm-hmm. tradition yeah. for me. I I haven't always watched it every year, but especially in the last probably ten years for sure. If I don't see it every year, at least, I mean, I try to watch it every year. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, just based on schedule. But I definitely watch it. If I can't watch the whole thing, if it's on TV, I'm going to watch as much of it as I can when it's on TV. TV. It's, it's one of those I can just have mm-hmm. on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have to pay it much yeah. attention. And then, you know, I'll just be mm-hmm. quoting it. And I'll be going from room to yeah. room, saying all the lines, and walk back into the room <laughs> it's on, and... Be at the right, right spot. Right. Yeah, because even watching it for the podcast, I didn't like sit down and, you know, like completely fully watch it like I hadn't seen it before. Because yeah. I, I, it's one of those movies that we've talked about a lot recently. Some of the movies we've done is like, I can't remember. Well, this is different because I remember going to see it. But we talk about the movies that I can't remember a time when I didn't know this movie. It's so ingrained in my psyche and my subconscious. Like, like you said, I can have it on, get up, be gone for five minutes, come right back in and like. <laughs> Don't feel like I've missed anything because yeah. I know everything that's happened uh, from beginning to end. Right. So. I I do have to say really quick, I'm so excited to watch a movie where we're not going to cry uh, yeah. talking about it. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Except for the <laughs> attic scene, but we're not going to we're not going to talk about that part. <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions. All right. Well, this may come as a surprise to you, Tim, but you I have, have opinions. opinions. I, that doesn't surprise yeah. me. That doesn't surprise me. And it's not, well, I'll say it front. It's not a perfect movie. And I don't, I don't want it to be a perfect movie. No. I want it to be no. what it is. An enjoyable, you know, an enjoyable movie experience. Yes. That once again, nostalgia plays a lot, a lot into it because it came out in a time in my life that I remember, or just a, you know, pivotal time in my life. I remember seeing this movie. And then like, like you said, I remember showing this movie to my grandmother 
on VHS. And I think we had recorded it (laughs) off of cable or whatever. And so it was the unedited version. And sitting down with my grandmother, who is not a big movie watcher anyway, but we just thought it was so funny. And there were certain scenes like, ooh, I forgot about this part. Or, ooh, he's going to say this (laughs) word. Or, ooh, he's going to have this, you know, imaginary moment (laughs) at the pool. Uh, So where you're just kind of... And and I remember her saying, what did he just say? Or what did he just do? So... Just don't worry right, about it, Grandma. Right. So <laughs> now I I will say it was hard watching it for the podcast because I felt like I needed to look at it from a little bit of an analytical viewpoint. And if you do that, it kind of yeah, ruins it a little bit. No. <laughs> don't do that. Just let me have lived that horrible truth and now I can go the rest of my life and not have right, to worry about right, that anymore. Right. No, that's all good. I mean, we 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 have our opinions. We talk and we've all I would say for most of the movies we've done, we are going to talk about the things that we wish would be better, even if we love the movie. So oh, yeah. it's still part of it's still oh, part yeah. of the, the experience. So so let's jump into story origin and pre-production. So you've got some history on National Lampoon. Okay. I'll let you get the ball rolling if you have some information. I, I, oh. I don't. I was just curious. <laughs> I, <thought you. laughs> I was like, oh, no. Uh. No, I was just curious because I... I know when I was a kid, I watched mm-hmm. this movie, and occasionally we would watch the original right, one, right. but not no. as often. Like it took me a long time to realize that those two movies oh, were okay. related. Gotcha, because they seem so different, yeah. especially from like a child's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. eyes. That the kids aren't the Definitely. same, but you know the husband and wife mm-hmm. are the same, and so it was. It was one of those where they're similar, right. but. They've got different tones. Yeah, it's like I think I had I had seen the original Vacation before I saw mm-hmm. this one, but I know I saw the TV version. Like I didn't see the the theatrical version of Vacation until I was much older, and so I knew who Clark Griswold was. And I remember seeing European Vacation and not liking it at all. Like I I even rewatched it like this past year to kind of say, well, you know, I've watched. You know, vacation recently for the podcast and over to Christmas vacation. I'll watch European vacation and see if it, now that I'm older, will it be any better? And it wasn't. It's, it's far, it's definitely, <laughs> you know, if you're going to rank them, it's probably going to be, for me, it would be Christmas vacation first, then the original vacation, then European mm-hmm. vacation, and then Vegas vacation. Vegas doesn't this just make stays the, at the bottom. And I, we talked about, I think we talked about that on the American tale episode. Um, I've only seen that one once, and I really have no desire to see it again. And we won't even talk about Christmas Vacation 2, which is its own, That's which I've never seen movie. and have no desire to see. But We own it. Of course you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, just so that you know, a shout out to our friend mm-hmm. Elise. Um, Euro- European Vacation's her favorite of the whole series. Mm-hmm. I have I have thoughts. I have thoughts about my friendship with Elise now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Elise, if you're listening, I, I love you. I told her the same thing. <laughs> she said it was no, nostalgia I'm sure. reasons. She grew I'm up sure. watching and, you know, European I, and I get that. I mean, it, it just didn't it didn't hit the same way as other movies did. But yeah. but yes, but going back to your point about National Lampoon, like I don't ever I say for the podcast, it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I don't ever think to put that in the title because I don't associate it with that. I have some knowledge of National Lampoon, and I think we talked about it when I did the vacation episode uh, back in season one. So if you want to know more about National Lampoon, 
you can go back to that because I think I do a little brief kind of history there, but I don't remember any of it <laughs> right now off the top of my head. <laughs> it's a Harvard like right like yeah, comedy writing. Yeah, group, it was. Isn't it? Yeah, and I watched a movie about one of the founders of National Lampoon a couple of years ago, which was really interesting, and. They just were trying to be different. They wanted to be more adult comedy or more, I don't want to say crude, but just they, they wanted to do a different type of comedy that will, than what was popular at the time. And so, of course, Animal House was kind of like the first big thing that they did. Um, and then that kind of, uh, then you had uh, Vacation and then European Vacation. Of course, they've done other lesser quality and lesser known uh <laughs> movies over the years that usually go direct to video at this point but lampoon's more quantity than right, quality right, for right. the most part so like for me as a kid like i remember growing up reading mad magazines uh so which yeah. i kind of in my mind i kind of put those two somewhat together but they're they're very different they're they're, they're with like oh. well cuz mad was more like parodies it was it loved to parody things that were in pop culture, but it had some of that satirical stuff that Lampoon, National Lampoon had as well. But, you know, in my, it just as a kid, I was thinking, oh, National Lampoon, it's like Mad Magazine because I knew, I knew National Lampoon, National Lampoon being like a magazine, which is how it got started. So. Right. All right. So there's our little, somewhat mini history lesson. But as far as Christmas vacation, here's the, uh, Story origin and pre-production. So, it originated from a short story by writer John Hughes. Yes, that John Hughes uh, called Christmas 59, which was published in the December 1980 issue of National Lampoon magazine. He said, the studio came to me and begged for another one, and I only agreed because I had a good story to base it on, Hughes said. But those movies have become a little more than Chevy Chase vehicles. End of his quote. Not every match made in Hollywood is meant to work out, however. In the case of Christmas Vacation, it was the relationship between its star and director that almost doomed the project from the start. Chris Columbus, yes, that Chris Columbus. <laughs> the one who <laughs> sailed the ocean blue in 1492. No, not that, no, no oh, I'm sorry, not oh, that Chris, so, the, sorry, the director me. Christopher, Chris, oh, not oh. Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus, so is, uh, anyway, uh, who had previously helmed Adventures in Babysitting, one of my all-time I favorite 80s Adventures movies. Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, he was set to direct Chris's vacation after John Hughes sent him the script to look over. He even shot a few second unit scenes during the pre-production phase, but unfortunately, after a few meetings with Chevy Chase, it became clear that they weren't going to work out as a professional pair. Uh, Columbus said in 2015, to be completely honest, Chevy treated me like dirt. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reoccurring theme with that man, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. So Hughes didn't take the pass personally, though, and would eventually help Columbus land the directing gig for Home Alone, which came out the following year. Very so, nice. Oh, out, so just out for, outside of your comfort yes. zone when it comes to movies. Too bad. Yep. Yep. I've watched that one too. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's actually that's actually Tyra's favorite Christmas movie. So my, my wife loves Home Alone movies. Uh, so after Chris Columbus and John Hughes both declined to direct, Chevy Chase suggested to Hughes that he contact George Roy Hill to direct because Chase had worked with Hill the previous year on Funny Farm in 1988 and said Hill was the best director the actor had ever worked with. However, following Funny Farm's initial mediocre reception from audiences, mine included, and critics, Hill <laughs> retired from directing and turned down the offer to direct his film. So, yeah, 
I don't remember much about Funny Farm. I remember going to see it, and I remember thinking this movie is one of the most boring Chevy Chase movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I have never seen it. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I can't, only thing I remember about it is he was like a writer, and he decided to go like away from the city to like this country town and try to learn how to write, and that's really all I remember. But it was, it was just a bunch of, kind of like this, is a bunch of like little vignettes. Yeah. But- not, there wasn't a there wasn't a strong overarching story to kind of tie it all together. So, um, yeah. anyway, so but I just think it's funny that after that movie didn't do well, he just decided to retire from directing. Yeah, I'm done. It's just like I think this was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. So why why not go off, you know go out on a low note? So <laughs> so after developing a name for himself in the fashion photography world, Jeremiah Chekik decided he wanted to branch out and turned to directing commercials. His style was so unique that it piqued the interest of director Stanley Kubrick. Yes, that Stanley Kubrick, who jokingly referred to Chechik's work as his favorite American filmmaking, in quotes. This spawned a chain of reaction. I'm sorry. This spawned a chain reaction of phone calls and meetings that would eventually lead Chechik to the offices of Warner Brothers, where he chose Chris's vacation out of a pile of scripts to be his first film project. Good for him. So he said, I had not seen the first two vacation movies. So <laughs> that shows. So I wasn't really influenced by anything other than the fact that it was a big at the time, and their big Christmas movie and comedy. Uh, he, that's what he told Den of Geek. He also said he looked into a field and he saw a cash cow, and he said, "I want that one." Uh, he continued to say, "I just felt if I could crack this, maybe there's a whole other world of filmmaking for me." So to tell you how well he did after this movie, he directed Benny and June. With Johnny Depp, Diabolique with Sharon Stone, The Avengers, no, not that one, not the Marvel one, <laughs> plus episodes of The Bronx, oh, The Bronx is Burning, I don't know what that is, I'm gonna skip oh. that, plus Gossip Girl, Chuck, and Burn Notice. Well, I have heard of Gossip Girl. Yes, I've heard of Chuck, and- I love Chuck. Well, I, I've heard of Chuck and Burn Notice, yeah. but um, I've actually watched Gossip Girl. <laughs> Yeah, so so he continued to do some some directing, but he didn't have quite the and he did other things. I mean, Benny and June was kind of a quirky yeah. comedy drama. Diabolique was kind of more of a thriller, if I remember correctly. Avengers, I don't know what Avengers was. I know it wasn't good. That's all I remember. Oh, I you know I I just know the Marvel one. Yeah, it was based on a British TV show, I think, with Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman, uh, kind of mid nineties, I think. Okay. Yeah. I would say check it out, but really, you shouldn't. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just watch the regular Avengers. Yeah, yeah, stick with the Marvel Avengers. Yeah. So, although Christmas Vacation takes place in the Chicago area, the movie was shot in Burbank, California at the Warner Brothers Studios. However, for a number of the outdoor scenes, they filmed on location in Breckenridge, Colorado, because at that time of year, they traditionally had the biggest snowfall. But when they arrived, they freaked out when they discovered there was no snow. They had to, So they had a convoy of trucks hauling snow for certain locations. As soon as they arrived, it started snowing and dropped 10 feet of snow in three days. It became near impossible to actually shoot there because there was so much snow. They had to take snow cats just to get to their filming locations. So I just love the patience of Hollywood filmmaking. It's like, we don't have any snow. <laughs> buy snow. Once they buy the snow... Buy snow. It shows up. 
Um, sure. It's like that movie White Christmas. It's just yeah. Yeah. Bing Crosby and Danny F and K. <laughs> I see what you did there. I myself. I see what did you did it. there. So after the scenes that were shot in Breckenridge, Colorado, the Warner Brothers lot in Southern California ended up standing in for suburban Chicago as the neighborhood of Clark Griswold and Company. The lot section known as Blondie Street includes some famous houses. Clark's childhood home was also featured on the TV show Bewitched, while snooty neighbors Todd and Margot hung their hats in the same house as the Murtaugh family in Lethal Weapon franchise. Chevy Chase said that they even found the toilet prop from Lethal Weapon 2 lying on the front lawn when they first <laughs> arrived for filming. Oh, poor Todd and Margot. Really? Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, just wait. Just wait. I'm holding it. Do you have love for Todd and Margot? You know what? Imagine Clark Griswold as your neighbor. Anytime he starts to do anything, you know your <laughs> the property value of your house is going down. Probably like, down. Yeah, he he damages their property. He threatens to assault them. His weird cousin dumps a sewer <laughs> thing into their like. You know, it's they're the victims. He broke. <laughs> sorry, he broke their CD player that's the size of my desk. So. <laughs> <laughs> but why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. And now, these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up! That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Do you want to talk about casting? Let's do this. All right, let's go. So I'm not going to talk about Chevy Chase or Beverly D'Angelo because we covered that in the original Vacation. Okay. Uh, they're kind of the only, well, they're somewhat only characters that return uh, yeah. besides Cousin Eddie. Uh, but we'll talk about them as we get there. But there's one noteworthy what if regarding the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation cast. As fans recall, there's a running gag throughout all the vacation movies in which the children, Rusty and Audrey, are played by different actors each time. <laughs> the festive third installment stars Johnny Galecki and future Oscar nominee Juliette Lewis as the Griswold kids. But the role of the male sibling most almost went to one of Hollywood's most esteemed stars of today. Do you know who it could be, Bethany? That. I'm, gosh, I'm going to say something. It's going to be wrong. Robert Downey Jr. That is incorrect. Thank you for Aren't playing, it? though. Yeah, probably a little too old for that at that point. Yeah. In a short featurette by the American Film Institute, Christmas Vacation casting director Heidi Levitt recalls meeting the future Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio for the part of Rusty oh. and immediately noticed his talents. However, she said he wasn't goofy enough. <laughs> you know what? That's a good... Yeah. That's that's fair. So the role went to Galecki, who would also go on to star on, on Roseanne as David, and of course the lead in the Big Bang Theory cast as Leonard. 
Right. Uh, but yeah, but you know, if you if if you're an '80s person, you know where Leonardo DiCaprio got his start. Growing pains. Growing pains, and it was a Christmas episode of Growing really? Pains that he made I his debut. Watched the reruns of Growing Pains. Oh yeah, yeah, and loved Growing Pains. I honestly didn't care for the Leonardo DiCaprio episodes, but I got into them. Yeah. Around the time that Titanic came out. And so that's why I, I was into it. <laughs> yeah, I think he came in like at the, that was maybe the last towards season the or towards the end. So I there think, was, they were, yeah. they were hanging on, they were hanging on by a thread at that point anyway. So I think Kurt Cameron had kind of started getting away from the show. He had, yeah. you know, found faith and wasn't wanting to play those characters anymore. Mm-hmm. And, so they filled Leonardo DiCaprio in to try to fill in that character, but by that point, people were like, "Okay, we're we're good." I think Kirk had tried. He had he had dipped his toe in the movie into the movies and didn't yeah. have any big hits. Uh, he didn't have the breakout success that Michael J. Fox had, which was what I think he expected. Oh. So, I think that- everyone did. He's so cute. And- mm-hmm. This is not the Kirk Cameron podcast. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll we're digressing. Focus, Tim. God. All right. Sorry. I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better. All right. <laughs> Juliette Lewis as Audrey Griswold. She was she was previously portrayed by Dana Barron and Dana Hill. I was such a Dana uh, in the last two films. Uh, Juliette Lewis was an established fan of the franchise and counted herself lucky to be the next Audrey. This is considered Lewis's breakout role before starring in blockbuster films like Cape Fear in 1991 and Natural Born Killers in 1994. She took a big, a big turn heart. from... <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. Uh. But, you know, uh, Galecki has said that, you know, she was... I think she was 15 at the time. He turned 14 during the middle oh. of filming. She, I think she made the comment. She's like, she said, I was 15, but I felt like I was 25. And he said... Every, she looked like she was 25. He said, everybody thought you were 25. <laughs> he said she was like... I thought she was 25. When you said she was 15, yeah. I was like, really? Yeah. yeah. So he also had a big crush on her during the... Uh, when they were filming, too, so... That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I think of the Audreys, she is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Um... She's not quite as whiny. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like how sweet she is throughout. Like, you know, she's still that kind of like bratty teenager oh, yeah, yeah. throughout. Yeah. But then when she sees that her dad's getting picked on by his father-in-law mm-hmm. and she's like, he worked he worked really hard on mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Grandpa. Like, and it's like, it still looks good, daddy, mm-hmm. even if all the light. And I, I was like, that's really yeah. sweet. Like, she's kind of showing the side of Audrey where it's, you know, I'm. I'm more than just a bratty teenager. There's like a human being back here too. <laughs> um, but I will say, I know we kind of skipped over it because you've talked about her before. Yeah. But um, Beverly D'Angelo, I need to talk about, oh, okay. talk about her for uh, is, just a minute. Is, is there a, a list coming? Is there a list that we're adding to? Maybe. maybe. Okay. So she is so underrated in this oh, movie. She's- I have to say that. She care like... If it weren't for her and his kids, mm-hmm. it would be very difficult to realize why anybody would like Clark Griswold. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't like him. He's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They like him. So there's got to be something oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Beverly D'Angelo, I did a little bit of research because I think she's an American treasure. There it is. <laughs> 
you know that she got her start as an animator for Hanna-Barbera? I don't think I knew that. That is what her first job in the industry was. She was a singer. and mm-hmm. I knew her, that, yeah. Yes. And, and she was an illustrator for Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And she decided to take a whack at acting. And there's just stuff in this movie, the subtle things that mm-hmm. she does. And it's it's a movie full of just scenery eating frenzies. Mm-hmm. And she does mm-hmm. like the smallest little stuff, like the scene where they're all sitting there trying to eat that dry turkey. <laughs> and she's just. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she throws it over her shoulder. And it's right. all right. If you're not paying attention to her. You mm-hmm. don't see it. But if you decide to stop watching Clark or stop watching whoever it is, the big person in the scene. Right. And focus. Right. I can't tell you how many years it took for me to realize that she was like holding him by the crotch. When, she, <laughs> <laughs> when all the police walked in. Right. Right. And then she puts it right back just so yeah. aggressively. Which she and says she, was not scripted like that was her idea. And she did it on one take to see if anybody would notice. And it was the one that made it into the final film. She is so funny. Yeah. And it's just, she doesn't get a lot of, you were talking about Juliet, um, Lewis. Juliet Lewis. Yes. Doesn't do a lot of comedy mm-hmm. except for the Lampoon movies, really. Right. And she's so funny. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's not the big character like uh, Quaid, Randy Quaid. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. One of the Quaids. Not, not and Dennis. <laughs> not Dennis. Not Frankie Quaid. I don't know who right. Frankie Quaid is. <laughs> but she's not, you know, Chevy Chase or anything. But she's got like this. She keeps everything grounded. But she's also very silly. Mm-hmm. And that scene with her and Audrey talking and complaining about like, why can't they? <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I quote the phrase, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's Christmas and we're all in misery. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's just, she, and she's perfect. She just, mm-hmm. she's relatable. It's right, right. And then it's like, when have I ever blown anything out of proportion? <laughs> Funerals, weddings, mm. graduations, birthdays. Anniversary. <laughs> Just <laughs> good night, honey. <laughs> good night. <laughs> so I just had to throw that out there. Oh yeah, I love Beverly D'Angelo. She is incredible. Yes, and also an illustrator for Hannah Barbera, and that ties her into another character that might make this list. A okay, later. I got gotcha. you. I pick up what you're laying down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, uh, I will say the chemistry between Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase is so good yeah. and you, you and that's you know they are kind of the glue that holds all those movies together like when they're they fit really well together yeah. on screen and i think chevy's made the comment he's like when they if they haven't made a movie in a while and or when they, in between the filmings of the vacations when they first come back it's like oh you know it's like it's all new and fresh like like mm-hmm. they're they're like fat they become fast friends again he said then by the time by the time it's over we all can't stand to be around each other <laughs> so like, oh yeah i remember why i don't like you yeah but but it comes across on screen very well that they they have it's great like a married together. couple yeah like, exactly. you know you love you love that person so much mm-hmm. but if you're around them a lot sometimes they'll yeah. start doing the thing that makes you want to scream so thank you for filling us in on beverly angelo don't want to uh skip over that 
for sure. Can't shortchange so, her. She's so no. amazing. Yep. So moving on, we got Johnny Galecki as Russ Griswold. He was previously portrayed by Anthony Michael Hall and Jason Lively in the last two films. Uh, Johnny Galecki, who at the time was a Chicago-based child star, submitted a self-made videotape on a hunch for the role of Russ and was soon whisked out to Hollywood to read lines with Chevy Chase himself. Director, 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 (laughs) I have an accent all of a sudden. (laughs) Uh, Director Chetnik was particularly drawn to his dry and unique sense of humor. Uh, I love this. Only two Christmas-themed movies came out in 1989. This and Prancer and Johnny Galecki was in both of them. Good for him. Had a much smaller role in Prancer. I actually watched Prancer a couple weeks ago. I haven't seen that one. I, you know what? He's a good Rusty. Like he. Oh yeah. You know he's. I, I still think Anthony Michael Hall's better. Yeah, yeah. But he's a good Rusty, and he fits the tone of this movie really well. And mm-hmm. he does. He really cuts like when Chevy Chase is going a little extra. Like he's oh, getting yeah, yeah. very high energy. He cuts it with this like dry sense of humor mm-hmm. that I just adore. Yeah, I think Beverly D'Angelo said that. Galecki was like a full form man yeah. <laughs> on the like, set. Like he he was mature for his age, even though he's still like he was ten or eleven. Yeah, he he's st- even on he comes across in, in his character as like he's kind of an old soul, even yeah. in those moments. Well, uh, it's, but it's he talked so funny, like watching him at that like dinner scene where he's at the kids' table, and it mm-hmm. takes you a second to go like, why is he at the kids' table? <laughs> and then you go like, oh, because he's actually a kid like he's small and he he is a kid he just he's raised by a psychopath so he has to (laughs) he grew up really quick well one of the interesting things and i think we talked about this on the on the vacation episode is that because anthony michael hall had like a huge growth spurt during the filming of vacation Mm -hmm. when they first started he was short he looked like he was the younger sibling Uh uh-huh but then he grew where he was taller. He was almost as tall as Beverly D'Angelo by the end of the uh-huh. movie. And so they never really say which sibling is older in the original vacation. So you kind of think, are they the same age? Who's older? Yeah. It's never really established. But in European vacation, it's it's you, it's it's pretty well known that Rusty is the older sibling yeah. over Audrey. But in this one, it kind of flip flops where Aud- Audrey is ve- is definitely older than uh rusty so once again it just kind of plays in that i just think it's interesting that they they, they go back and forth with who's older who's younger uh well in the i movies. think i think it makes it funny when the aunt bethany eventually shows up mm-hmm. and and she's mm-hmm. so confused is is rusty still in the navy mm-hmm. and it's just like well no wonder she's confused 10 years ago <laughs> he was 17 now he's 12 like yeah. what you- which and I know this doesn't make any sense now, but as a kid, when I first saw this movie, and I, after watching it several times, there's a picture in the background of a person in a naval uniform, which I read saying that that was like someone that was in the old film that Clark is watching in the attic, that there was somebody that was in the uh. Navy, so that maybe Rusty was named after a great uncle or something, which could make that... But I would be I surprised thought, if they put that much thought into it. Right. But I thought as a kid, like, oh, the original Rusty is still older <laughs> and he's off in the Navy. Yeah. And this is Rusty. This like, is Rusty 2.0. There's, there's Rusty and there's Russ. 
And so, uh-huh. you know, so. Yeah. No, that in makes my fif- sense. In my 15-year-old mind, that made perfect sense. Now, I was like, that would be totally ridiculous. <laughs> but once again, this movie is totally ridiculous. As it should be. Yeah. So, uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on Galecki, but I thought this was interesting. He had some good things to say about working with Chevy Chase. He said, Chevy worked like a puppet master for me in most scenes since I was young and had never done comedy before. He'd almost cue me for my timing. He would nod, point, or wave a finger. He was so supportive, teaching me comic timing. That took a patience and a consideration because the movie would have been funny enough without Rusty having that specific timing. He was terribly generous with me. Chevy would take me at lunch hours to the set of Harlem Nights and Ghostbusters 2. He didn't need to do that, yet here I am, the 13-year-old right off the bus from Chicago, and I'm hanging out with Red Fox, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Harold Ramis, and Dan Arcord. That's a dream. He learned some new words that day. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He was a a full-grown man in that 13-year-old, 14-year-old body. Yeah, he sure did. (laughs) Yeah, he's a good Rusty. I I like his comedy in it. I the, think it's the core family's yeah. really good. Yes. I think it's funny though nowadays that I still on Facebook the last couple of years people that will say I'm today's year, years old and I realized that uh-huh. you know Leonard from Big Bang Theory was in Christmas <laughs> vacation. And so which I think is hilarious yeah. cuz I mean he has age but I mean it, it's he, still he's him the same you can tell. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. All right, well, let's move right along with other castmates. So let's mm-hmm. talk about John Randolph, who played Clark Griswold Sr. Veteran performer John Randolph was a Tony Award-winning character actor whose union and social activism in the 40s and 50s caused him to be blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Wow. The balding performer may, ha- may not have been a household name, but he was a regular face in movies and TV for over four decades. He appeared in movies like Ser- Serpico in 1973, Francis in 82, Pritzi's Honor in 85, You've Got Mail in 98, along with the TV movies The Missiles of October in 74, and Lincoln, a miniseries in 1975. He also played the recurring role of Roseanne Barr's father on the popular sitcom. Huh. I didn't remember that. That's neat. I didn't remember. I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure that this is the only thing I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those movies where... You know, you watch it again years later and you can't re- remember if you recognize the person from something else <laughs> or, just, or if it's just the movie that you've been watching for years. Right, right. Yeah, I can see that because um, he has it. He's so sweet. He, yeah, he has one of those like faces like, I feel like I know who this is, but it's it's not that person. It's that like that character actor mm-hmm. face. And that's amazing that. You know, there's lots of podcasts that do lots of research on the McCarthy era mm-hmm. blacklisting things. Right. And it's just a fascinating yes. time of our life. Yeah, yeah that, that's its own podcast for sure. So check those out. Yes. All right. Moving right along. Diane Ladd as Nora Griswold, Clark's mother, known more for her dramatic roles in her versatile seven decade long career she is known for roles in the 80s TV show Alice, Something Wicked This Way Comes in 1983, Black Widow in 87, Chinatown in 74, uh, Lad set of her audition, <laughs> which this was really funny. Shelley Winters loaned her her dead mother's dress to wear. She got some Oxfords and a pair of glasses at the Salvation Army. She put baby powder in her hair. She said, here I am looking like an old dog, and I thought that if I'm ever up for a sexy part again, I'll be dead. 
but I marched right over to Chevy and I grabbed his face, pulled open his mouth and played the game. Knock, knock, Aww. who's there? That was improvised and something like it wound up in the movie. When I got the call that I had the part, I started to cry. I said, oh my God, my career is over. But I laughed myself to the bank for 16 weeks. That part <laughs> paid money. So, Oh, I love that. And I love her line where like, I've got a corn on my foot. And if you rub it, I'll give you yeah. a whole quarter. Yeah. I say yeah, that like, all the time. It's yeah. like, I'll give you a whole quarter. And Galecki's response wow, to quarter. that is so, so <laughs> funny. It's so relatable because you've, yeah. you've all had that you know, elderly relative Mm -hmm. that'll say something to you and you know you have to be nice. Oh, yeah. Like, they're saying something nice to you, but it's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, thanks. I had a grandfather that tried to get me and my sister. He would try to pay us money to clip his toenails. And no thank you. (laughs) That's worse than rubbing a corn. And the podcast just took an ugly turn. (laughs) But yeah, she. Uh, I saw her tell this story in a little bit more detail, but she said she was actually living in Florida at the time when they when before she got the part, and she didn't want to go back to to LA because she said there weren't any roles for women, and she's actually only like six years older than Chevy Chase. So then she was like, "Oh, you, you know, you can you can audition for this part to play his mother." She's like, "I'm not that much older," so that's why she put the talcum powder in her hair to make her look older, and so but. Yeah. She played the part well. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. E.G. Marshall as Art Smith, Ellen's father. With over 150 film and TV appearances to his credit, E.G. Marshall is most well known as the cool-headed juror number four in Sidney LeMay's legal drama 12 Angry Men in 1957, one of my all-time favorite movies. Some of his other standout performances are in Creepshow in 82 and Nixon in 95. He plays a good angry white man. Yes. That's his. Now, for a long time, I thought he was the same person that played the old man in A Christmas Story. Oh, he does look like him, doesn't he? They they look they look alike, but it's, it's not, not the same person. But it it does look a lot like him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Even though those movies are eight yeah. years apart and or seven years apart, <laughs> and he would have were, aged considerably. Those were a rough eight years. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. One of my favorites, Doris Roberts as Frances Smith, oh. Ellen's mother. Roberts was a 20-year veteran of the Broadway stage before she began appearing steadily in character roles in film and on television during the 1970s. A versatile player with an escapably mom-like presence, she was adept at playing sympathetic roles but made her most memorable mark as hard-boiled dames, gossips, and nags. <laughs> who were often too savvy of the ways of the world to be fooled by anyone. Roberts built up some face recognition with regular appearances in the sitcoms Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman in 76, and Angie in 79, but truly came into her own as a widely known comedian when she was cast as the meddling, strong-willed family matriarch on Everybody Loves Raymond in 1996. The show became one of the best-loved sitcoms in history, and Roberts earned seven Emmy nominations and four wins, for her colorful characterization. She is so good in that. Yes. Um, yep. I love her in this. And I she was in a While You Were Sleeping. Yes. And that's yes, one of yes. my I just favorite watched that the movies. Night. That's a Christmas yeah. movie. Yeah, I can watch that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's just so funny. Just mm-hmm. hilarious. And like the subtle, she's an alcoholic throughout this movie. Yeah. 
<laughs> she and it fits like her and Beverly D'Angelo's like comedy mm-hmm. kind of mimic each other where it's not big yeah. comedy. It's subtle. Right, right. And they do. You've got to pay attention to her. And mm-hmm. it's easy mm-hmm. to kind of gloss over her because so many people are just chewing up. Oh, yeah, just exactly. Chomping up that scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. mm, ah, delicious. Just delightful. <laughs> I was curious if she was going to be in your list, but I'll keep moving. Just keep going. I, I'm trying okay. to limit it, but she's she's close. <laughs> All right. Miriam Flynn is Katherine Johnson, Ellen's cousin. Uh, while she may not be a household name, she has a rather extensive acting career on television and film. Some of her roles on TV were in shows like Give Me a Break, Silver Spoons, Night Court, Malcolm and Eddie, and Grounded for Life. She has also appeared in such movies as Mr. Mom in 83 and For Keeps in 88. She also lent her vocal talents to the Land Before Time franchise. And she also voiced Ma, the elderly sheep, in Babe. Oh, she's the Ma from Babe? <laughs> she is. She is. Aww. <laughs> Aww, she's cute. I like her. Yep. That's all mm. I really have to say. She's cute. All right. I always feel so bad for her. I told yeah. you we put it She's... in too early. <laughs> yeah. What? Why are you crying? Yeah. She She's almost a forgotten character because she kind of gets overshadowed by... She plays it you know, more subtle. But Right, right. But that's her yeah. character. Uh, we all have yeah. that aunt or that cousin that's mm-hmm. like married yeah. to something. You don't know why... They're, but they're the sweetest right. human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you end up with this guy? What happens? Right. Just blink right. and I will get you out of this situation. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my goodness. All right, moving on. Randy Quaid is Cousin Eddie. Much of what would become the key character traits of Cousin Eddie came from Randy Quaid himself. <laughs> from his unusual choice of wardrobe to his repeated attempts to kiss Ellen on the lips down to his deadpan bingo line in the rocket sled scene. <laughs> Quaid was having a field day while with making his character come alive. What many fans don't know is that a lot of Eddie's mannerisms were inspired by a real-life man in Texas that Quaid was acquainted with in his youth, in, including the habit of clicking his tongue. Yeah. I, we, you know, if you're from the South, and I'm sure other places too, mm-hmm. you also have a cousin Eddie somewhere in the yes. mix, and I won't say who. Is our cousin Eddie? Um, <laughs> but and for our listeners out there, just think you could be. If you cousin are Eddie. related to me, you're not cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie doesn't know how to download a podcast. <laughs> you serious, Clark? <laughs> I love the line, and I know Laramie hates this scene, but it's the scene where he's about to go sledding, and he goes, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, I've got." I just don't think it's a good idea with nothing between my head and the or the pavement in my brain, but it's a piece of government plastic. Do you really think that's mm-hmm. going to matter? Well, you see, that's where my part is. You see, right over here, yeah. it's nothing. But right here, my hair will just look terrible. And I just, yeah. that's not the line, but it just makes me. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. Yeah. I chuckle if, uh, every yeah, if, single time. Yeah. My hair just won't part right. <laughs> my hair, yeah. it just won't look right. Right, yeah, that's yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, he does have some of the better lines. But Merry it, Christmas, it's, mm-hmm, it's full. 
Iconic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't say it. You did. You did. You did. And then um, the, them at Walmart, yeah. and he's, you know, he's asking, basically asking Clark to buy Christmas presents for his family. Mm-hmm. And Clark puts the, and it's such a quiet moment, and there's so much going on in that yes. scene that you wouldn't pay, unless you're paying attention, you don't see it. Right. But he right. puts the light bulbs down, and then mm-hmm. Eddie just keeps putting Eddie. the bill bags of dog food on top of it, and you just right. hear it. Okay. Well, you know, he buys like six different brands but of dog afford, food. He just walking up. He can't aisle. afford Christmas for his yeah. kids. No, no. And those bags of dog food are expensive, yeah. and they were expensive yes. back then. We can see the price tags as they walk through clearly <laughs> Walmart. Walmart, yeah. Well, they showed Walmart at the yeah. beginning. You know, during the uh, Christmas vacation that brought was to you by Walmart. Scene. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, moving on. Moving on. So. Talking about the kids, Cody Berger as Rocky Johnson, Eddie and Catherine's son. This was Cody's first acting role and still non-speaking role. (laughs) And he worked for a few years after in films like Forever Young in 1992 with Mel Gibson and Heavyweights in 95 with Ben Stiller. So didn't have a big, long, extensive career. And then you have Ellen Hamilton Latson as Ruby Sue Johnson, the daughter. This was only Ellen's second film. Her film debut was the role of Michael Douglas and Ann Archer's daughter in 1997's blockbuster thriller, Fatal Attraction. She is so cute in this movie. <laughs> and I, I don't know if it's because I'm partial to the name Ruby, but... True. But she's so cute. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And again, yeah. she's got a killer line that, like, Rocky... We can't yeah, say. Yeah, that I can't say, that I won't say... <laughs> So then we got William Hickey as Lewis, Clark's grouchy uncle. Uh, Lewis and Bethany were based on George Burns and Gracie Allen. It was hoped that George Burns would actually play Lewis. And then May Questel as Bethany, Clark's 80-year-old senile aunt. This was the final film where her film career began in 1930 as the voice of Betty yes, Boop. I was so surprised today when I looked up because she is... An American treasure. She's so cute. And I'm I'm biased. Again, we've got a Ruby mm-hmm. and we've got a Bethany. And there are two Bethany's in movies. There's this Bethany and Jack Black pay- plays a Bethany in the new Jumanji films. And that's it. That's your Bethany representation. (laughs) So I don't know. Part of me, and I don't think Laramie would ever be this mean to me, but I could see this being Mm. what Laramie and I turn into when we grow up. (laughs) 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 Oh, Bethany, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Did I break wind? (laughs) Bethany, did the room clear out? No, present. She meant present. Mm. But... I mean, every time I, you know, hear the Pledge of Allegiance, I have to end it with, amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Label. Right. It's just, she's. Grace. Grace died 30 years Grace ago. Died 30 years ago. Blessing. The blessing. I, I will say there's one line <laughs> that I have never understood, and it's when she is trying, okay. to, or she hears the, the squirrel. And he says, right. you couldn't a hear a sound. dump truck driving through a nitroglycerin plant or something like that. Sorry, in fact, I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Still don't get it. Is nit- are th- nitroglycerin yeah. plants like really quiet? No, I think or it would it actually. Opposite? Like she could hear a 
dump truck driving through a nitroglycerin plant? I just, I don't know. I don't, well, a dump truck. I have overthought this In my this brain. Line. Yeah, I'm, I'm, over, I'm, I'm overthinking it now. Um, I'm, I want to buy that t-shirt that says, wait, wait a second, I'm going <laughs> to overthink this. Um, I thought that like a nitroglycerin factory to me is going to blow up. So maybe the dump truck is causing so much commotion that it explodes. So she couldn't hear the explosion that oh. big is kind of what, what I thought of. Okay. Well, either way, I've never. Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, if send I'm me wrong, an email. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's just so precious. And then, yeah, finding out mm-hmm. she's the voice of Betty Boop, which I was. Yeah weirdly obsessed with as a child i loved (laughs) betty boop and then yeah i think just she was a dark-haired cartoon character yeah yeah which which she she reprised the role for who framed roger rabbit the same year and she was also olive oil she voiced Mm -hmm. yes she was in hanna barbera cartoons there you go there was the connection i had it back in (laughs) but yeah she's her lines are so funny, and they're the more wholesome funny lines. Just the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't push me down, Clark. Mm-hmm. Are we at the airport, Clark? Those are Christmas it's lights. Bethany. Not every day people move into a new house. They didn't move <laughs> into a new house. <laughs> <laughs> Which this wasn't a thing back then, but they've done it since then. Where. If you were going to have like a quote unquote spinoff movie uh-huh. with like, you know, kind of not main characters, I would watch a three hour Lewis and Bethany I would watch a three yeah, hour, hour of them just sitting in their living room <laughs> yelling right or him yelling at her and her saying something, mm-hmm. her commenting on something. See, I love that actor, the guy who plays Lewis. He is so yeah, funny. Yeah. William when um, there is this. He's another one I quote regularly. Um, oh yeah, yeah. In the movie Forget Paris, I don't know. Yes. When he's the old yes. uh, Grant or the yes. dad, I will sit there because I do this now as a fully in my sound <laughs> yeah. mind. Look out the window and I just read oh. all the signs as we pass them out loud. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then I'll just you want you asked for it, you got it, Toyota. Oh my gosh! Forget Paris, it's such a so great movie. Good. I know it's not an '80s movie, but that is one of my favorite favorite I movies. Love and that you, line. You, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, I used to do that. I used to drive people crazy because I would. I, I knew that scene so well. I would do it with pe- <laughs> people that didn't. In I would the background just. just... <laughs> <laughs> so good, but yeah. he's reading every sign. Every sign, and he I passes. still do that. Like I saw that mm-hmm. then, like. I saw it probably when I was like too young to really get it, but I remembered really enjoying the movie. Right. Yeah. And thinking like, I do that. I read all the signs as I drive mm-hmm. by them. And now as an adult, I like, I hate the electronic billboards because they change they too change. quickly for me to be able to read yeah. them out loud. <laughs> and when they're in Spanish, <laughs> accidentos. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so my good. goodness! But it, anyways, that actor—he's so funny. Him and yeah. you know, I always think of him in this. Forget Paris and uh, My Blue Heaven. 
Okay. Oh, he's yeah. so good in that. That's one I've seen, but I don't I don't know that one as well. I haven't watched that one as many Arugula. times. Arugula. It's it's a vegetable. <laughs> Such a good movie. <laughs> yes. All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. So, <sighs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Margot Chester. Uh, this was before she became a household name for portrayal as Elaine on Seinfeld. When some, what some people may not know is that both she and her husband, Brad Hall, appeared as part of NBC's Saturday Night Live cast in the early 1980s. They are the only husband oh, and wow, wife team to do so. I did not know so. that. So there, there you go. That's Next time you're at a trivia night and that question comes up, I love you can that. thank us. Thank you. For giving you that I love to win tidbit. things, so that is helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, I yes. love Julia Louis Drivers. Um, she's so funny. Mm-hmm. And I said this, yeah. I hinted at it earlier. Clark Griswold is the villain of this piece. Um, <laughs> everything bad that happens to him was brought on to himself by himself. Oh, and for sure. For sure. Margo and Todd are victims. Are they snobs? Yeah. <laughs> but is being a snob a crime? No. Mm-hmm. You know what is a crime? Vandalism. <laughs> you know what is a crime? <laughs> Threatening to shove a tree up someone's tushy. He breaks. I wasn't talking to you. He breaks their window. He <laughs> damages their personal property twice. He cut down their tree. I don't even know if it's their tree, but he breaks their window. And then he has the icicles fly through the window and damages their stereo. Right, right. Then he's... Doing yeah. all that crazy. You do not need that many lights on your house when you live in a neighborhood where the house next to you is only like six feet away. I don't care how magical you think it is. They're just they're just a couple <laughs> of dinks, some double income, no kid couple who are just living their life happily, trying to have an intimate moment, and he blinds them and ruins their carpet. I'm sorry, but Margot and Todd are victims in this movie. And then she gets attacked by a dog. And then the police. Wait, wait, wait. No, the, the squirrel, then the dog. And the squirrel. This is the I'm part of the sorry. episode where Bethany has thoughts. I we do. Don't... I have a lot of opinions on this. The more <laughs> I watch it, the more I think, you know, Clark's kind of a jerk. He is. He actively, like, fantasizes about other women in all the movies in every single true. movie this he is true. actively Beverly D'Angelo is hot <laughs> she is an amazing wife she puts up with his garbage and he has the gall to flirt with some sales clerk who just is trying to do her job he's also making her uncomfortable he's a piece of garbage I don't like Clark Griswold <laughs> It? It's evident, but you love this movie. I do. I love this movie for the for the supporting cast, and I love seeing him like spiral out of control. Well, that's 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 part of his charm, if you want to call it that. Uh, is it charm or is it like bad parenting? Is it borderline abusive or is it charm? That's the game show I would like to propose is it charm or abuse all right moving right along okay <laughs> now that you've gotten that off your chest <laughs> let's talk about nicholas guest as todd okay. chester 
He was a former National Lampoon group member, and he is the brother to actor and former Lampoon and an SNL actor, Christopher Guest, which I did not know that. I was wondering if they were related when I saw his last name was Guest. Speaking of uh, being related, Brian Doyle Murray as Frank Shirley, Clark's boss. Brian, of course, is the brother of Bill Murray and often appears in films with Bill and Chevy Chase. He was in Caddyshack in 1980, Modern Problems in 81, and Nothing But Trouble with Chevy Chase. He was on The Razor's Edge in 84, Scrooge in 88, and Groundhog Day in 93 with his brother Bill Murray. Brian Doyle Murray appeared in two of the vacation movies. In the first one, he plays Camp Comfort Clerk, where the Griswolds stop to stay on the way to Wally World, and then he plays Mr. Shirley, his boss, which this is one of my favorite lines, and I've used it several times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't talk and I'm in a meeting. Give me someone. Anybody. And give me some more, me some while, more while I'm waiting. waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I, when he's yelling at the person on the phone, it wasn't until today when I was watching with the subtitles on that I realized what he was saying. I thought he was like yelling at someone in Japanese. Oh, yeah. Like when he says like retooling, I'll retool you. Oh, okay. And I I had always heard like something else. Mm-hmm. And I love that he always calls Clark by the wrong name until the very yeah, end. Yeah, Greaseball. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Mark, it's Clark. Yeah, just put that over there, Grease, Greaseball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and I also love that subtle. That's where this movie really shines. Is There's a lot of like ridiculous big comedy, but it's juxtaposed to small, hilarious things. Yes, yes. And it's... He he brings the gift to yes. the boss. Yes. Just put it over there with all the other ones. Mm-hmm. They're all, all the exactly same. the same. They're all desk sets. They're, that's what yeah. was popular at the time was a desk set. So it was a pencil okay. holder. I was wondering. I was like, yeah. I wonder what it is, but it was, it's all the same. Yeah. It was a pencil holder, which was the flat part, and then the cube part was for your post-it notes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I got a kick out of that. And it's small. They don't comment on it. It mm-hmm. never comes back again. You never see him open up. When, right. Like, if the movie was made now, mm-hmm. you would, there would be a scene of him opening <laughs> all 100 desk sets that right. he received. Right. And and they would all be engraved, so he couldn't return them or anything. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they didn't need that. It's It's for the people who have watched it every year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who get to see something new every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another one of my favorite lines that I can't say is when we first see Mr. Shirley and he goes in his office and Clark greets everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kiss my butt. Kiss my butt. Kiss his butt. Happy, Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. <laughs> and now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. 
toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. All right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes. Let's try to... Okay. Bring this one rain to a close. In. Yeah, rain it in as much as we can. We've talked about a lot of scenes already, but yeah. do you have an absolute favorite? I, I'm not going to say iconic because I don't think this was, I don't think this one classifies as iconic, but favorite scenes, go. You know, I think there's a combo, but I'm going to have to go with basically any scene with Aunt Bethany. <laughs> I laugh every time, even now. Mm-hmm. All of her lines are just pure golden to me. And and I think because they were lines that I understood when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't need to be an adult to understand what it was they were implying. Right, right. It was stuff that I have always found funny, still find funny. She's so precious. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't hurt that we have the same name (laughs) and it's it's that scene and then i also really love the scene between audrey and ellen there's Mm -hmm. that scene where they're her she's i have nightmares thinking of what he does when he's alone (laughs) and i'm not lying in bed next to him right well i'm sleeping with your father (laughs) so we all have to make sacrifices that's christmas and we're all in misery ellen are you smoking no. <laughs> I don't know why that scene it's just very relatable. It's this moment. It's very relatable. That's and that's the thing what what this movie does for me, which is why I think why Vacation and Christmas Vacation I I have yeah. love for them is because there's relatable parts of I can see my I see pieces of my family, not yeah. total pieces, but there's those there's those moments like Oh and gosh. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to tell the stories because it's a podcast. But if we were having a a one on one conversation, yeah. I would tell you stories about my family. Uh, but there are just certain things that that those things ring true. Like even the scene we talked about at the beginning, uh, or when the when the the uh, the grandparents come in and they're all there in the foyer and the <laughs> and and, and dir- the director technically that was the hardest thing to film because everybody had their own little bit. And they were just trying to capture it kind of like in real time. It was so realistic, though. It was so realistic. So many times. Like, that's what it's like when everybody gets there for Christmas Mm -hmm. or for whatever get together you're having and everybody congregates. It's, oh, hi. Oh, give me a kiss. Oh, look at you. Oh, you've grown up. And then everybody leaves and it's the two hosts and they're like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm leaving. I'll see you at the end of the season. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, outside until and, the next year. Yeah. And then the other scene when Clark gets trapped in the uh, attic. 
why is it so drafty in here? Who left this open? Uh, another great Doris Roberts uh, thing. But but I think it's uh, it's Ellen's dad when he's like, we, where? what about Clark? He's got his own he's car. He's got his own car. He can just, I need I've to gotta, eat. I've got to take my pill. And I say that all the time. <laughs> I've got to eat. I've got to take my pill. I've got to take my pill. <laughs> I, I will say I have a problem with that scene because he – very quickly, he makes a hole in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You've already got a hole. Just keep right. going. Get out. <laughs> what I don't understand is like, I know, I, I can't think of an attic door that locks shut. Like, if it, if you can pull it down as easy, why on why the other end would it not, not go down? No, that yeah. scene does not make any sense. Although yeah. I do love when he finds the Mother's Day gift from like six years yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is also that I love that scene. And I know yeah. we're talking about favorite scenes, but that for sentimental reasons, that's my favorite like sentimental scene. Yeah. And it's not so much the scene. It's the Ray Charles song. Yeah. You know, the uh, I love that song. Yeah. Uh, that's one of his best songs, which was completely unreleased. That was not that was not oh. a on a Christmas album. It was like an unreleased track that they got for the movie, and they never made a soundtrack for this movie, so it was never available. And you can't find it, and I, I can't find it on on iTunes. But other artists have re- have done their versions of it since then. Mm. So I always include that on my, my Christmas playlist every year. So it's such a good song, and that is a sweet mm. moment because you know we have those moments where you watch the old videos mm-hmm. of old christmases or old yeah. you know birthdays and you're like yeah, yeah. oh my gosh there's so and so or mm-hmm. oh there's my granny who passed away several years ago yeah. and and there she is just walking around there's her voice i can hear mm-hmm. her and there's you know my cousin and he's you know a kid now he's a dad with two children of his <laughs> own and there right, he is right. like there was a christmas get together that we had where there was a video that we were all sitting around watching a family video and it was my cousin and he was totally nude. Like he was oh an gosh. infant, like he was <laughs> tiny. He was like two okay. years old or right. maybe not two years old, maybe less than that, but like small, mm-hmm. but just completely nude. And we were all like, all right, now we've, we've seen that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> right, right. It's the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving all year long. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's just that like sitting there watching like, oh, even mm-hmm. if it's not a very like interesting video, it's right, just right. like seeing those faces, seeing faces you still see, but they're younger, mm-hmm. seeing the faces of people you don't see anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, hearing it's one thing to see their picture. It's another thing to hear their voice and see them yes. walking around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Definitely. And it's it that is a very sweet moment where you're sitting there watching him reliving Mm -hmm. and and it makes sense like why he's doing all of this he's trying to recreate that magic for himself Mm -hmm. it's for no one but himself (laughs) um and he brings it all upon himself and he's a Mm -hmm. jerk but it that scene and then the scene of him talking to ruby sue about how there is a santa claus those Mm -hmm. are his like redeeming moments in Mm -hmm. this movie Mm -hmm. yeah any other favorite scenes? I mean, really, there's a lot. I I could just sit here and recount the whole movie for you. Would oh, you yeah, like, yeah. We'll would you that. like me to? Okay, so in no, the beginning of the for, movie, there... <laughs> no. Okay. 
Time's running out, so let's uh, right. do it now. So I, I will say, so the sentimental moment is the attic. My favorite scene, though, um, is the light is him trying to get the lights to work on the front lawn, <laughs> which then coincides with the arrival of cousin Eddie. Uh-huh. But I loved the whole, and it's a great, it's well written, which I know it's John Hughes and well executed. But the whole thing of you know, the light switch, not realizing that's what's causing the lights to go on and off. And the back and forth with him and Ellen is just so fantastic. And then when the lights finally went, and honestly, every year when I plug in my Christmas tree light for the first time, I want Joy to the World to be played in the background, just like Clark Griswold. It's like, that's, you know, everybody come out, look at the lights, look at the lights. I, They're not, the I little lights aren't, aren't blinking. Yeah. Uh, I, I know, not, Ed. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for noticing. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> I will say, and it's it's part of that relatability of this movie. Mm-hmm. We used to joke that with my dad, he would have these grand ideas of these like oh, yeah, house projects. Yes. And it would always end in him getting extremely angry. Yeah. And one of us was crying. Just because <laughs> he would and and as a parent now I kind of get it a little bit mm-hmm. where it's the, you know, you had this expectation in your brain of how this was going to go. And oh, you forget course. that your kids don't know how screwdrivers work yet. <laughs> right, right. Or that your kids don't want to sit there and check a million every, twinkle lights. Every light, right. Get this knot out for me, Russ. <laughs> oh, gee, look at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta, Gotta feed go. the hog. Yeah, do my homework. Pay some bills. So good. <laughs> the arrival of cousin Eddie is so great. The cherry on top, you know. Yeah, you're surprised. If I woke up tomorrow morning with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of one more, and it's another subtle little thing. When they're Go sorry, I know we're trying to wrap up. They're in the living room, <laughs> and there's that little thing that with the propellers on the top. Yes, yes. And Eddie yeah. walks over and he tries to turn it and they just all fall. <laughs> we had one of those as a kid. And that's exactly yep, how yep. they worked. Mm-hmm. You would sit there yep. and you would think, and as a kid, you know, you're not doing it gently, of course. No, yeah, And you're exactly. just wanting to make it go. But mm-hmm, as fast as possible. Even if you just gently touched it, all of mm-hmm. those little propellers would fall off. <laughs> And you had, and to, then Clark can't get it put back well, together you either. And then you would have to have them angled just right because the idea mm-hmm. is that you light little candles and they naturally just spin. It never mm-hmm. worked that way. But I, <laughs> I remember watching that scene and just relating to that moment mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. because yeah, we had that decoration and it just every time yep. you would bump the it table. And it would just boom. Yeah, fall apart. Yep. Yep. And then the, the best line, get you some more eggnog, Eddie. Take it to the desert. For dead. For dead. <laughs> nah, nah, Clark, I'm good. No, I'm yeah. all right. He's so oblivious. That, the, those, those dialogue moments between Eddie and Clark are so funny because Eddie is so oblivious yeah. to to that, which is which is so funny. <laughs> which is great. Movie. All right, well, we'll hit a few quick trivia things then we'll, we'll wrap this one up uh about the film's opening Chechnik says i always wanted the animated opening you see in the film but warner brothers balked at the cost of doing an animated title 
So rather than get into a fight, I designed another title sequence with a Christmas song sung by a Jamaican who sounded like he had no teeth and you can barely understand the words. Then the replacement title sequence looked like an old French art film with white tiles on black. When I proposed this to Warner Brothers, they said, we think the animated titles are great. (laughs) (laughs) He said for the theme song, Prince was a Warner Brothers artist, so he produced it. And he's the one who brought in Darlene Love to sing Christmas Vacation. I love Vacation. that song. Yeah, this is that's a, a good good one too. soundtrack. This soundtrack is a great slaps. soundtrack, which is why I was so. I, I, as a kid, I looked every year to try to find the soundtrack for this mm-hmm. and can never find it. Oh. But it is great. Uh, a little cameo you may not know about: when Clark is in bed trying to read People magazine with sticky fingers from the tree sap, the person shown on the cover of the magazine is the director Jeremiah Chekmak. Oh, good for him. And in the commentary, he said he actually looks older in that picture than he does right now. <laughs> and that was recorded several years ago. So it was rumored that Clark's rant about his boss, Mr. Shirley, once again, another dialogue we cannot repeat. Uh, this is somewhat true. However, what the audience doesn't see is that each cast member of the film facing Chevy has a sign hanging around their necks that has one word written on them. These were some of the adjectives Clark used to describe his boss. So, it's a good smart. scene, and I have a friend, and I tried to put it together, but I'm just not a graphic designer. <laughs> but she wants like a poster with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Hallelujah! Holy, yeah. where's the Tylenol? Where's the Tylenol? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I We're have, have said the that hap- as well. Hap- happiest Christmas. <laughs> yes. Bing Crosby dance with Daddy F and K. Mm-hmm. So good. Which so, I was so excited when I finally one day understood that reference i was like oh yeah yeah. yes (laughs) (laughs) so there were a few deleted or omitted scenes so the back of the dvd release includes a photo of a deleted scene one of many that have yet to be released the scene depicted revolves around the griswolds haggling with the tree lot owner over the price of the tree and their lack of a saw to which the owner provides them with a shovel this was to occur between Rusty asking Clark if he brought a saw and the shot of the family driving away with the uprooted tree. That makes sense. Although I always kind of assumed that seems weird. It is weird. It's a, it's a weird transition. He cr- they crash into that sign and then the way they're mm-hmm. walking and the comment that's made, I assume that he ticked off the owner of that tree lot. Yeah. And he yeah. said, you can't. We're not selling you anything here. Right, right. And so they're just out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's where that tree is. It's not mm-hmm. a part of any sort of lot. It's Right, exactly. It's, it's just, just out in, in the woods. Yeah. Right. And then they dig it up, presumably by hand. Yeah, because they, they have nothing any sense. with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the beginning of the movie is completely, completely ludicrous, which... Kind of sets the tone so for the, the movie. So is the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, There's a lot another, of stuff where, like, yeah. if you put too much logic in this, the whole thing oh, falls of course. apart. Oh, of course. It's not meant to be logical. No. But one of the other, my other favorite scenes, which, once again, is really, it's a great joke, a subtle joke, is when they're singing uh, mm-hmm. Deck the Halls, and they're like, take, <laughs> take it, kids. Russ. Yeah. Because it's it's right in sync with it's so <laughs> great. It's so, so funny. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, I could see myself being that parent 
of oh you know, i am that parent yeah like <laughs> I am that parent. well i mean my kids are still young enough to where they think i'm kind of cool sometimes so they'll sing mm-hmm. with me but that's something where like once they hit a certain like teen age i can just oh, see yeah. it like all right your turn la 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 <laughs> exactly and you know laramie would be right in there with me oh of course yeah <laughs> exactly well, that day's coming. Oh yeah, mine mine is in that we're we're not quite there yet. We have we kind of have some moments and some not moments. So yeah. I'm holding on. I'm still holding on to the good days. Good. So <laughs> uh, there was another scene cut from John Hughes' original script in which Rusty and Clark have a heartfelt moment that Chevy Chase was actually interested in shooting, but it will never. But it still never ended up happening. Uh, Galecki explained that he was to blame during the Rolling Stones oral history he said they asked what i thought and i said i don't think there's any point somebody thought it was worth taking out at some point so even if we shoot it it'll probably get taken out anyway he said he literally talked himself out of what could have been a classic scene with chevy chase because they talked about it in the other two vacation movies mm-hmm. clark and rusty always have somewhat of a little heart to heart moment and so that is the one thing that is kind of missing in this but he this does one. have that moment with ruby sue which he i does. think kind of does bring that like yeah, heart to yeah, heart kind of supplements yeah yeah and that's true he does have those moments with rusty where he's like yeah well blah blah blah. this is why we're doing all this this is why yeah dad's being a little crazy yeah but i mean he but has I, that moment with ruby sue and then he even mm-hmm. has that moment with his dad like he does yeah and i think and that that's what i was kind of thinking when i when i i saw this and i, I wrote it down and i was going back and watching some bits and pieces the other day the moment that his dad has with him to me supplements that it's oh, like yeah. you kind of see, Oh, now we see where Clark gets that side of himself from where his dad has that moment with him. And yeah. so, which I thought was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, you know, obviously the Griswolds are much more ludicrous, like over the top, <laughs> right. wildest, like worst case scenario of everything mm-hmm. all the time. But, um, you know, it is that moment of going like, oh, yeah, you know, anytime I try to plan a birthday party or plan a family ga- gathering, mm-hmm. something happens. And if I'm so stuck on it being perfect, it completely mm-hmm. ruins it for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what makes the vacation movies successful is everybody sees that. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and if you, if you become just hell-bent focused on the idea of perfection mm-hmm. it will drive you literally insane <laughs> yeah yep yep all right so last little thing i thought this was cool to put in at the end so if you want to take a trip i know this is going to release on christmas eve so you only got a few hours to do it but each year christmas vacation super fan greg osterland and his family adorn their Wadsworth, Ohio residence with the exact duplicate of Clark's over-the-type lighting arrangement. In 2019, they actually added a replica of Cousin Eddie's banged-up RV. (laughs) Visitors are encouraged to make donations to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation's Great Strides when they come to visit. Oh, that's so neat! Yeah, so... That's cute. Poor Marco and Todd. (laughs) I wonder how they're doing. They don't get their house adorned every year. No. Did they did they have any Christmas decorations up? No, no they, they even were... make that comment right yeah, before yeah. the tree comes through their window. That's right. It's like That's right. should we have gotten a tree? I mean, I know they're 
tacky and messy, but... And then the tree crashes through. through. Well, where are we going to get a tree at this time? (laughs) Bang. Bang. (laughs) All right, let's talk about box office and critical reception. Wrap this puppy up. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation was released in theaters on December 1st, 1989 and debuted at number one at the box office, grossing over $11 million during the opening weekend. It beat out well-known holdovers from weeks before, like Back to the Future Part 2, Steel Magnolias, Harlem Nights, and The Little Mermaid. It went on to gross a total of $71 million in the United States while showing in movie theaters. So, What a good month of movies (laughs) that was a double feature there for you still magnolias followed by christmas vacation yeah and then harlem follow it up (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know me and my little bottle full of juice that's a harlem nice is a true family favorite my parents my parents went to see that at the theater and came home and i was like they're like you're not going to see that movie to your adult (laughs) that's probably fair yeah I saw that movie too early as well. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'm still old enough to watch that movie. (laughs) I was implying Little Mermaid. (laughs) Uh. Those were my top three movies of 1989. was Christmas Vacation, Steel Magnolias, Little Mermaid. From one-year-old Bethany to you. Yeah, unfortunately Batman would beat them all. Okay. So, not not to one year old Bethany. <laughs> no, nah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 76. I'm sorry, gives it a 67 on the tomato meter and an 86 audience score. IMDb has it as a 7.9 out of 10 with a 46 on Metacritic. Of course, oh wow, Metacritic is going to be in the dumps. But uh, <laughs> I think Rotten Tomatoes once again 86 is very fair. I mean, yeah. it, we, we talked about it. it's not a perfect movie. There's lots no. of things that don't make any sense and really probably you don't belong. did not get into Mary, the store clerk, very much. And no. That, I mean, I get that that's in all of the movies. It just doesn't need to be. It's so mm-hmm. dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where he just fantasizes about some random woman for mm-hmm. no reason, and it has no bearing on the plot. No, no. But um, I, you know... IMDb now does this really annoying thing where if you looked at a movie earlier and then you come back to it, it'll pop something up like, well, did you watch it? What would you rate it? (laughs) Right. I'm just like, I just trying to remember the name of this person. (laughs) Um, And I gave it seven stars, I think. Okay. Because, I mean, it's it's a good movie. I'm going to watch it a lot every year. I don't care. And... Eventually, I'm going to let my kids watch it. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. Um, but it's got its issues. And I think because I was, at the time, thinking of it in a critical way, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess seven's the biggest I could give it right now. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I think it's in the 80s. Probably if if I'm going to rate on IMDb, I'd probably go with an eight. Seven is pretty average yeah. on my scale. Um, maybe even a nine. Uh, and it's more of my ratings are more about rewatchability. Yeah. There could, there's probably a better movie. There's definitely better movies that have been made that are more artistic and, you know, better. But I'm never, I'm never watching yeah. Lincoln again. 
Right, exactly. Lincoln gets a four out of ten. More than likely, movies that won Best Picture don't usually show up in my top ten list. There's a few. There's a few. uh, But I'm going for stuff that's rewatchable. And this is one of those that's definitely rewatchable. Like I said, I watch it every year or try to watch it every year at Christmas. Um, Now, do you think if it was not a like obviously the whole premise of its Christmas movie, (laughs) but like if it was not a holiday specific movie where you only watched it during one time of year, so Mm -hmm. it's not like you're gonna pop it in the DVD player in May, you know? You think if it's something that you watched all year long, if it was something that you would. I feel like when it comes to Christmas movies, there's just this like sentimentality mm-hmm. where even if the movie's not great, I only oh, watch yeah, yeah. it during this one month. Yeah, yeah. Well, and see, I'm like that with horror movies. Like, I don't feel like watching horror movies ever <laughs> unless it's in October. <laughs> Look, I know who you're married to, so I know you have to <laughs> oh, suffer I'm... through a lot of horror movies. Oh, I do. Um, but yeah, but it, yeah, Chris, I, I think you're right. Christmas movies don't have to be spectacular i mean i I mean i can't think of a christmas movie that's won an academy award that i can think of at this point or that's even been nominated because they're not made for that purpose they're made to instill certain feelings and nostalgia for us um but i mean just off top of my head must see christmas movies for me every year is gonna be christmas vacation elf scrooged uh, the Santa Claus, Home Alone, yeah. um, It's a Wonderful Life. So those movies are fun. Heart. Some are heartwarming. Some are just for pure nostalgia. If more, yeah. more if nothing else. Uh, I mean, just some like Christmas movies, I enjoy that are just bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, I rewatched. <laughs> I watched rewatched Santa Claus the movie today, and I was like, I know why I don't watch this every year. <laughs> I watched the newest Princess Switch. Oh, yeah. Because it's a Christmas movie and you have to watch Vanessa Hudgens being different <laughs> Vanessa Hudgenses at Christmas time. I mean, does she play five different ones in this She's one? She's only mean... three okay. in this one. Um, you know, the second one, she was three. This third one, she's three again. Um, but one of the characters from the Christmas, Christmas Prince is in it. So, okay. Just briefly, it's weird. Yeah. They're so bad. Like, Ruby will walk in on me watching some of these, and I'm embarrassed. Mm. <laughs> Just like, why are you watching? What movie is this? Don't worry about it. It's not a good movie. Just <laughs> keep going. Right. Go read a book. Be better. <laughs> Be better than me. Be better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to have this heart-to-heart with you, child. I made you so that you'll be better than me. Yeah. And one day, you'll make one's... That you want to be better than you. That's what. That's the circle <laughs> of life. In the future, we'll have kids that watch movies at age-appropriate times. <laughs> and watch quality films. Right, right. Now go back to your room and watch Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite movie, Lincoln. <laughs> all right, I got to wrap this up. We're going to yes, talk all night. So thank you so much, Bethany, for being a part of this episode. Anything else you want to add before we wrap everything up? Any last... Christmas vacation. Merry Christmas. Um, well, Tim, Merry Christmas to you, you and your family. Um, and happy Hanukkah and all in between. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Merry Christmas to you and to your household. So have the hat, pat, happiest Christmas. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks. <laughs> you too. <laughs> now, if you, if you really want to make me, if you really need a last minute Christmas gift for me, I'll tell you what you can get me is to finish this podcast. <laughs> and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. You know what? Merry Christmas. The <laughs> <shirt is> full. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Bethany, for being a part. Please rate, review the podcast. Let everybody know. Tell three friends about 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. And tell them to this episode, except for the last 30 seconds when Bethany or dropped. to that 30 seconds on three. <laughs> Alright, thanks everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.